Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, indeed, as the lovely lady says, this is the Sample Chapter Podcast, episode 54, and yes, my name is Jason A. Meiske, thriller author and your host for what is sure to be a thrilling episode, certainly an entertaining one, with our guest G.S. Denning coming up here in just a few minutes. You don't want to miss out on this. Uh, So, uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, who are we? Well, the Sample Chapter Podcast is a show dedicated to authors of varying success. Whether you are a new author, whether you are a a very successful one, such as G.S. Denning, or just a couple weeks ago we had New York Times bestseller Tosca Lee. But we've got interviews also waiting with uh, brand new authors and authors who've done a few books and are still, you know, more or less uh, starting off. Regardless of your success rate, authors come on the show. We do a short interview to introduce you to potential readers, and the author reads a sample chapter from one of their books could be their first book it could be a brand new one that just came out it might be something obscure that perhaps they you know one of their favorite books that just never quite took off you never know what you're going to get who you're going to hear from and what the chapter is going to be each week here on the sample chapter podcast so make sure you hit that subscribe button and follow us uh, on itunes is i guess the best place to go to because you're guaranteed to have it downloaded directly into your device every week you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Sample Chapter Podcast, and we'll make sure to we, you know we do a lot of posts on there. We do a lot of sharing uh, for not just our weekly episode, but also Throwback Thursdays and old episodes. We try and keep up a little bit with previous guests and what what they might have coming up real soon. So make sure you're following along. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can use any of those methods, or you can also reach out to us through our email at samplechapterpodcast gmail.com you can just send me an email let me know what you like about the show what you don't like if you have a recommendation for an author uh, if you are an author yourself and you're interested in coming on by all means reach out to me let me know and uh, we'll see what we can do my only caveat is that you must be a published author now you can be self-published you can be traditionally published any of those methods but the point is the chapters you hear on this show are from a book that is readily available. So if you like what you hear, go on out, pick up the book, and please give that author the greatest gift of all. Give them a review. Yeah, I mean, sure, you know, authors like selling books. Okay, that's that's great. I'm an author myself. It's nice to see that little uptick in, in the back of the Amazon office. But, you know, I really get a thrill whenever somebody reviews my book. And, you know, a a good review and an honest review doesn't matter if it's, you know, two stars, three stars or five. As long as you're giving an honest review on Amazon, Goodreads or like I do, I do it on both. When I'm reading a book on Kindle, especially it populates immediately. Here's your Goodreads. What's your review? And then I go back and copy and paste that over to Amazon. So don't forget to do the same thing because, you know, all the authors out there, they really appreciate that. And it means a lot. And, you know, (laughs) as a personal thing for me, if you find a book that you really like because of this show, you can tell them, hey, I heard about this book because of the Sample Chapter podcast, and this is what I thought of the book. Yeah, that'd be be pretty cool. But (laughs) 
Well, uh, yeah, I also want to make sure and give a big shout out for our sponsor, U-Storall out of Warrensburg, Missouri. Amazing, amazing place. Uh, the absolute best place for self-storage needs. Climate control, non-climate control. Check them out online at ustoral.net. It's spelled U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. Check them out online and uh, give them a call if you have any questions. Well, like I said, this week our guest is none other than the Sherlock parody master himself, G.S. Denning. Uh, the, the guy is amazing. I, I was just blown away to get a message from, uh, well, <laughs> it was his wife who sent me an email. So, hello, Warlock Mama. <laughs> uh, that is such a cool Twitter name. Uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, she first reached out to me, and what was what was really amazing is that this first started back in December. Uh, like the early parts of December, we were trying to connect. And one thing led to another. The holidays came and went. I was, as you know, I was really, really sick during that time. We finally nailed down a weekend that we were going to get together. We were going to, you know, make the interview happen. And if you follow the show on Twitter or Facebook, then you know uh, about the weekend where uh, we had a huge storm and it knocked out power. Uh, my whole family, we stayed in the living room for. Uh, next to the fireplace for heat and it was that weekend i was supposed to interview i was supposed to interview two other authors including gabriel and i had to let everybody know i was like i i, I have no power i have no way of doing this so we uh you know we uh reconnected we finally got uh, something set up and got this interview done and uh, he was just such a joy to talk to so so fun and he's he's a former improv guy and for all you uh, authors out there, myself included, you know, he has great advice on uh, using improv classes to improve your writing. Uh, <laughs> he has a challenge for all you Instagram users out there. Make sure you are listening carefully because he's got a challenge for you if you are on Instagram. He wants, there's something he wants you to do. But he has the stories called the Warlock Holmes Mysteries. They're parodies of the Sherlock Holmes books, the original books. And but they're redone in this like f almost fantasy. Uh, there's just yeah, it's kind of a little bit tough for me to describe because I I don't I don't think I've ever read the original Sherlock Holmes. I I found out just the other day cleaning in my office. I actually have the collection, so I guess I need to read those sometime. But I also have right here in my hand a copy of Warlock Holmes: A Study in Brimstone. It's book one in the series. Found it. Actually, like two days before my interview with Gabriel, you're going to love it, and you don't want to miss out on his chapter reading, so you get a real taste for what this book is going to be like. If you know Sherlock Holmes, you're going to probably pick up on so much more than I am, uh, so I'm anxious to read the Sherlock books and then come back and reread this, but as somebody who's not uh, savvy to some of that, I still was laughing uh, you know, getting to hear it the first time from him and then going back and editing the, uh, the episode and catching stuff I didn't catch before. And, oh my gosh, this is great. You're going to love it. Let's get on over to our interview with G.S. Denny.
Hey there, guys and gals. Welcome to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. With me today, I have the one and only creator of the Warlock Holmes series, G.S. Denning. Gabriel, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. I am so happy. <laughs> it's I've had a couple of authors recently who we've been back and forth trying to make something work out for so long, and I'm, you're one of them, and I'm so happy we finally got this nailed down. Yeah, I just a word to your listeners out there. When you become an author, you become uh, you become hard to schedule. So thank you for your patience with me. I'm glad you. I'm glad we finally made it work. Oh well, I tell you, I mean, I, a good portion of that's on me too. Between things I've been dealing with here and then sickness and just oh my gosh. So I I appreciate your patience. Uh, I was just sitting here writing the whole time. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, go ahead and, and uh, let the audience know a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, well, my I read as G.S. Denning, but my real name is Gabriel or Gabe, um, which I admit whenever I'm cornered. Uh, I, I was an improv guy for about 15, 20 years. Uh, if you've seen Whose Line Is It Anyway, that's the sort of stuff that I did. And uh, mostly Seattle, Seattle Theater Sports and Jet City Theater, but also in Orlando with um, Orlando Theater Sports. And... Uh, just a lifelong nerd and geek, love D and D and and you know Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams and all that comic fantasy stuff. And uh, years ago, had a little life implosion. You know, 2008 rolled around, lost a house, lost a job, needed to restart, and left uh, left for Vegas to live cheap and get a medical career. Lost all my theaters, and at that point, I went, you know something, I've been meaning to write this down anyway, so. You know, time to stop admiring, well, not stop admiring the, uh, <laughs> the comic fantasy guys, but time to join them. So yeah. I, uh, I came here, started going to school, and um, while I was in school, between classes, started writing the Warlock Holmes series. It was an accident. I, uh, I was in a writing class at, at uh, UNLV, had just um, watched the very first episode of BBC's Sherlock, and uh, had someone in my class who wrote a Mary Sue, uh, you know, a character who does everything better than anything else. And, and uh, nobody liked her story, which was kind of sad. She took it hard. And, oh. and I suggested maybe, yeah, it, was, it wasn't pretty, you know. And so I was suggesting giving the character some flaws, you know, to, to balance out their superpoweredness and suggested Sherlock. And she said, well, that's just dumb. How would you even do that in fantasy? Um, <laughs> And on the way home, I just started laughing because I realized in the original books, everyone thought he was magic anyway. You just let it be. And uh, then I thought up the pun Warlock Holmes and started giggling, ran upstairs to Google it as soon as I got home to see what people had done because I figured it would be great. And there was nothing. So 20 minutes later, I decided I'd do it. And I started writing just a little jokey piece that was going to be a story for class. And as I worked, I realized I'm like, no, I, I think I could keep this going. I think I could... I could make it honest, like really try to make it not just a joke, but an engaging story and keep it going. And so between classes, I started writing Warlock Holmes and then, uh, you know, started talking to agents. And the day after the Supreme Court and Britain's High Court decided, no, it really is public domain. Anyone who wants to can write uh, Sherlock stuff. Sure enough, my phone rang. And uh, now when I walk into, you know, uh, bookstores, I see my stuff and it feels real good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I was telling you before the, before we uh, begin the show, 
I, I was in half price books here recently and talking to them and I turn around and there's a display with Warlock Holmes on the end cap. And I was like, Hey, I know that guy. I'm, I'm talking to him. <laughs> so that was, so it was like really cool. And they kind of, you know, of course they're looking at me like, really? Come on. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. I know this guy. You ought to tune in later on. So <laughs> it is fun. Actually, even at bookstores, people don't expect to meet authors or yeah. I, um, one of my first things actually after the book came out, I mean, weeks after the book came out, my brother got married and we were driving across, uh, we were just in, in like Maine, in the middle of nowhere, Maine, and we stopped at Barnes and Noble to use the bathroom. <laughs> and it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm an author now. So I marched up to the desk and said, oh, hey, you know, I'm an author. And, and if you have my book, I'll sign it. And there was a, you know, a clerk started looking it up while the manager, whoever heard, sort of came over to go, oh, boo, 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 we don't have your little book. And until the, the clerk went, well, actually, we do. <laughs> and the manager's like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, my first impromptu signing. Oh, that's awesome. So have you always wanted to to write? I mean, it sounded like that was something that was just kind of on the back burner that you always thought about or, uh, or just kind of. Well, a lot of us from improv do. And by the way, if you have trouble with, with like writer's block, Try taking improv classes. It'll fix it real, real quick. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of people on television who, who come from improv, like Stephen Colbert and Tina Fey and Andy and Conan and you know a lot, of, a lot of other people. But when you sort of get down to brass tacks, improv is much more writing than acting. You can be a pretty poor actor and still be very beloved because as long as you can make up like eight good stories a day in front of an audience while they sit there and watch you. <laughs> and if you can, yeah, writer's block isn't a problem. You're, you don't realize it, but you're, you're studying to be an author at that point. And um, so, yeah, many of us are like, hey, I'm going to write a book someday. And, and uh, when I moved out here to Vegas with no friends and no theaters, well, yeah, sure. I, yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and it's amazing how many times that's the kind of thing it takes. It's, it's that, that something happens that kicks us in the butt to says, you better get started. It's now's the time. Uh, like for me, it was finding out I was going to be a grandpa. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's like, Hey, by the way, you're going to be a grandpa. Uh, we found out late. So it's going to be happening here in a couple months. And I was like, I, I wanted to be a writer by now. I wanted to be like, so yeah, I, got, <laughs> I got started. And then, so it's much the same with you. You have this life changing thing. And it's like, get started writing. There's, I, I, I've heard that from so many writers, you know, like in a, or sickness or an injury or something that just, you know, changes things and, and, uh, you know, good changes can fold out of it. So yeah. Hope that for all your listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well now, did you ever, uh, did you ever write early stories or anything, uh, growing oh, up? Oh yeah. I, Oh, the, uh, little things, you know, like you'd, you'd find, um, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast articles that I did. Um, I actually, I worked very briefly for Nintendo as a writer or what they call the localization editor, the games would come over from Japan and they'd just be a mess. You know, they, they'd be translated and, and sort of in air quotes, but they just wouldn't make any sense. And our job was to write the English script uh, for the games. But unfortunately, that was, that was um, right when the market tanked. And so uh, they hired like 10 of us to expand the thing. And I got to do one video game, style savvy, by the way. And, uh, and then the market just crashed and they fired the whole department and oh, oh. It broke my heart. It was the best job. One person in the history of Nintendo of America had voluntarily left that position. It was, it was just great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Tell us about the evolution of Warlock Holmes. Here's the nuts of, like, 
here's how the characters uh, developed and, and the story came together. From my initial idea, because I'm, you know, a comedian, but I'm also, I'm an MRI technologist, so I work with a lot of doctors, and it always bugged me that Dr. Watson uh, can be kind of stupid. Um, when a doctor's job is very similar to a detective's, I mean, you, you get the backstory, you get the clues, you, you know, you find out what's going on, and then you build a way to address it, and there's no reason that Watson should be bad at that. So I, I had that frustration with some Watsons, and, um, and just from comedy, you know, you, you make inability, uh, there's a lot of humor to be found in incompetence, really. <laughs> and so... Pretty quickly, I, I realized I wanted to make my Holmes, on the one hand, really incompetent. He is not good at figuring out crimes. He's terrible at it. Watson is much, much better. But they've got the got this, you know, odd couple balance both in their friendship and also in their ability. In that, in my stories, they're supernatural. So there's tons of demons and extraworldly threats. And and when it comes down to that, Watson's just a guy and kind of a feeble one. And Holmes is just this God-killingly powerful sorcerer, you know, who's well-meaning, nice, friendly guy. But when it comes down to it, you know, if, if he doesn't concentrate on not melting the planet, he just might. <laughs> so, you know, you've got this balancing act of Holmes where he's just incredibly powerful in one sense, but incredibly helpless in others. And needs Watson to be that bridge to humanity, which, by the way, is what I always liked about the Watson in the original. You know, Holmes is Sherlock as a genius who would probably forget to put pants on if Watson doesn't tell him to. <laughs> oh, I love it. And you've got uh, so far, there's three books uh, out right now and working on a fourth, I hear. Well, yeah, I actually just, in fact, at this, I, um, I just sent the fourth off uh, three days ago as we record this. So it's in the hands of London. Uh, going off to the publishers, um, and I'm working on book five. They've they've bought at least five, uh, and luckily, knock on death, things are going well. So it looks like they're going to buy more. It would probably take me eight books, maybe nine, to parody each and every one of the original sixty Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. That my my stories are are fairly close parody. Uh, to the point where even my outlining duties are light because, like, a famous British dead guy did that for me 100 years ago. It's yeah. kind of a sweet setup. <laughs> that is so cool. And I mean, it's, it's brilliant. You got ready-made material, and it's just looking through Amazon and reading up about it and your following that you've got. It, you, you look like you're doing really, really well, bud. Well, I got, I got lucky. I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. There are so many... Sherlock fans out there, uh, in, you know, in the differing iterations, mm -hmm. um, some of which are pretty comical, uh, like mine. And I, I will admit, when I started this, I was very worried uh, what Sherlock fans would think of me. I, I, I expected a lot of flame. I've got very little. Uh, generally speaking, it's the diehard Sherlock fans that seem to like me best, oh, with one or two exceptions. We, and I actually did get a one-star review that was so perfect we wanted to make it the uh, the top quote on the back of book three. Uh, yeah, but the guy took it down, so we couldn't. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, he said it, it was openly flaunted degeneracy, and I wanted that splashed right across the top. <laughs> wow. Right across the top, right? Wonderful wordsmanship. <laughs> yeah, I know. The whole review, you could practically hear the monocle in the guy's eye. and. Um, <laughs> But to credit him, like, nothing he said was wrong. He was 
he was dead right about me. He even, uh, like the reason he gave me one star was because there's a, a in my version of uh, Silver Blaze, mine is called Silver Blaze Murder Horse. Um, Holmes magics the horse into talking and explaining the crime because he's too injured to be bothered, you know, figuring it out. <laughs> and, and the horse uh, lets, lets out that he was in a relationship with his trainer. In the original, the trainer had bought a dress for his mistress. Uh, and in my version, the trainer had brought a dress for himself, oh more like gosh. Catherine the Great, to impress the horse. So he called me that I was, you know, like peddling bestiality, which is not exactly <laughs> wrong. <laughs> you know, I do have to admit that there's there are many nations where I would be, you know, killed for having written that. So maybe frowned upon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he caught me. I, and you know what? I do have to admit that certainly deserves a one-star review. Well, you know, I mean, you're very humble about the success and, and all that. And, you know, you were prepared for people to maybe be upset about it. But at the same time, it's this was your idea and you've put in the work. You're doing these stories. And it's, I think, rightly so, it's getting the success it has because of the, the love you have of the originals and, and the work you're putting into it. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's doing well for a reason, man. Uh, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, to all the aspiring writers listening to this, don't worry about doing the work. I mean, prepare for it. Put all of your life aside and devote all your time to it. But in a weird way, you'll do it. I mean, when, it, when, it's, when it's in front of you and you've got to do it, you'll do it. <laughs> it's one of those things where, I mean, four years ago, if you told me the, the schedule I was maintaining and the writing I was doing, I'd have just thought, I'd have told you I couldn't do it. But once it starts up, uh, you know, you can and you do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's something about staying busy that really helps that creative juices keep flowing. Yeah, yeah. There's something about a deadline that makes you realize, well, I better exude <laughs> a certain amount of creative juice this week, or I'm in trouble. <laughs> That's true too. Yes. Well, uh, so now, how about uh, anything outside? Are we going to see anything outside of Warlock Homes? Do you have uh, anything that you're working on, or maybe contemplating? Yeah, um, I do. I have one actually. Um, you know what? It's funny. It's late because it's been written for about. Oh God, four years, I think, but we went with Warlock first. And in the, in the uh, interim, Black Panther and Wonder Woman came out. I, I have a book called The Ballad of Bucky Deuce. And it's sort of, it's an inclusion for comics fans book. It, it's about the son of basically Indiana Jones, uh, who winds up in the same school at first being uh, threatened by and then being romantically interested in the daughter of his father's mad scientist enemy. So basically, Romeo and Juliet, if the Montagues were the Indiana Joneses and the Capulets were mad scientists, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, with a lot of message about, you know, what it takes, you know, for this next generation, you know, like if, you, if it's your dad who was Captain America, you know, and now you've got friends who are not male and not white and, you know, like looking back at some of the stuff that came out of your dad's mouth, you know, like <laughs> how how things are changing and getting more inclusive, but oh boy, they weren't always that way. Sort of, you know, right. taking, taking the good with the bad with comics and, you know, our changing values and demographics. So that might eventually be coming out. So Ballad of Bucky Deuce, look for it on shelves, who knows when. And then I have <laughs> a, uh, an, yeah, I have an epic fantasy um, with, uh, it's the most serious thing that I've written. It's called The Devil and His Youth. And um, it's about a, a, a boy who's, um, who's half devil. He's sort of, you know, his, his mom, who didn't want to be a mom, dropped him off at the Abbey one day so that the, uh, 
the nuns could either raise that child or kill that child if they thought that's what religion demanded. And, and they brought him up and he's copying all these religious texts, really hardcore sort of conservative stuff about good and evil and, and really thinks of himself as, as, you know, a wicked thing and, and grows up to become just this sort of hardcore monster hunter because A, he really sort of is bred for battle and B, he's got this religious self-hatred outlook that means he's willing to take on any fight because whether he wins or whether he loses, the world loses a monster. It's mm -hmm. a good outcome. And that one's kind of on the back burner now. Um, and one of the main reasons is just I'm up to my neck and home. So, I, you know, I can't write it fast enough. Um, I actually, I one of these yesterday, you know, someone who discovered my books, I think on, you know, Monday and by Friday had read them all. And, you know, when's the next one? I'm like, Oh God, I, I'm, I'm working. I'm trying. <laughs> you know, I, I just, no one can write that fast person that a thank you and B, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm typing. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. You'll have to let us know. Uh, I'm, I'm following you online in several places, so I'm sure I'll find out, but yeah, you'll have to let us know uh, when any of these others come out. And of course, you know, future uh, Holmes books and uh, we'll, we'll make sure and share these as well. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. I'll come on and read chapters if you want. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, where can, uh, speaking of where can uh, listeners and, and potential readers, where can we follow you? You can find me at Warlock Holmes on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, you know what's funny? If you put up anything with the word Warlock in it on Instagram, my wife will find you. <laughs> and we will, we will be connected. My wife is my PR agent. And, oh, she's tireless. She's hungry. She's like a wolf. Go ahead. Go ahead. Post something with Warlock and try to have her not pick it up. <laughs> Go ahead, people. I dare you. Let's do it. I've seen her work yeah. on Twitter. And uh, yeah, she is. She's fantastic. Yeah, I'm. I'm like in many ways lucky to have married her. And yeah, when that's, I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm a luddite. You know, uh, poverty made me a luddite. And and so I was kind of uh, not super comfortable with that stuff. And Amanda just rolled her eyes and went, "Here, I'll show you." And boy, she did. Awesome. Well, I, and I, I do want to make sure and say thank you to Amanda for reaching out to me in the first place and helping us get together, uh, kicking this off because that was great. And I loved having that email from her. So thank you, Amanda, for, yeah. for making this happen. Thanks, honey. We both love you. <laughs> Outstanding. Gabriel, thank you so much. I, I, I mean, we could sit here and talk. I mean, we didn't even dive into like the seventies and eighties and all this other stuff. So <laughs> I, I think we, we probably could have talked all day, but uh, I know you've got a lot going on and uh, we need to probably get you on over to our, our chapter. Thank you. Fun. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. And yeah, I'll, uh, it, it's funny for me going back and getting a chapter out of book one and going, oh, yeah, I remember this. And, and uh, as soon as I'm done reading it, yeah, I'll be back in book five. So I'm visiting my own past and priming the pumps here, I hope. That's great. I, I guess I should have asked that. Is that, is that the, uh, we're hearing from book one today? Yeah, I, I figured so, uh, if you're amenable. Chapter seven from book one this is right after um, Watson's moved in, realized there's something terrifically wrong with his new roommate. Holmes tried to hide the fact that he was, you know, just riddled with demons, but he didn't do it well. And uh, they're now doing their very first investigation, and it's becoming clear that Watson's really good at 
you know, solving crimes, and that Warlock is just, you know, incompetent but impossibly powerful. And this is this is the scene right after they've recovered a bakery wrapper from a murder scene. Uh, fans of the original Holmes and Study in Garlet will probably recognize this part from studying Brimstone. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, I introduce G.S. Denning with Warlock Holmes, A Study in Brimstone. All right. Chapter seven. Even in my prime, the day's exertions and excitement would have caused me some weariness. But I was not in my prime. I was still recovering from my shoulder-shot, gut-sick Afghan misadventure Thus, the instant we reached 221B Baker Street, I collapsed into my armchair before the hearth and slept. I woke at a quarter to eight, famished and bedewed with my own drool. It was not my hunger, but the slamming door that stirred me from my rest. Holmes rushed in with the evening paper in his hands and a look of terror upon his face. On your feet, Watson, the game is afoot and the wolf at our door. Or, uh, anyway, he should be at our door in as little as 15 minutes. Rubbing the sleep from my eyes and the spittle from my chin, I asked him, Whatever can you mean, Warlock? I think I owe you an apology, he said, and flipped the newspaper into my lap. It was open to the classifieds. One of the advertisements was circled in black ink that I might identify the source of our strife. Found one bakery wrapper in the street outside number three in Lauriston Gardens. If the owner wishes to reclaim, I shall be at my rooms at 221B Baker Street alone unarmed, and probably drunk, from 8 p.m. until 9 p.m. I am physically feeble, and my neighbors cannot hear loud, violent noises. Inquire, Dr. John Watson, M.D., mother's maiden name, Constance, Lloyd's bank account number, 8720764. What the deuce is this, Holmes? I howled. The Times, he said. No, this advertisement, how has this happened? Well, I posted it myself to lure the killer here. When? I demanded. It takes days to get an advertisement in the Times. I know. Uh, it was four, I think, maybe five days ago that I submitted it. Ridiculous. How would you have known what to say? Well, it was a surprise to me as well, I assure you, he replied. Though I must say, it is nice to know what it means. I remember being quite baffled at the time. Why have you included my bank account number? Well, how should I know, Watson, to grant you increased verisimilitude, perhaps? Oh, this way, the killer can stop in at the bank and learn that there is indeed a Dr. John Watson residing at 221B Baker Street. Well, and clean me out while he's there, I suppose. Oh, come now, Watson. Everyone knows you have no money to steal. I'm surprised that that one detail is what should concern you in any case. What is the theft of a few shillings compared to the prospect of your murder? Well. I suppose I'd better go. What? Holmes, go where? To get Bronson, of course. We'll want him here to intercept the killer. Uh, he's just down the street. Shouldn't take me more than 20 minutes. If the streets are clear, uh, back in a tick. Holmes was already at the door, hat in hand. Warlock, I may be dead by then. Nonsense, Watson, he scoffed. The poison probably takes a few minutes, don't you think? Stalin for us. Shoot him if you must. You've got a gun. That was true. I had my service revolver. I was already mid-lunch heading for the case I kept it in when Warlock added, I stripped it all down and cleaned it for you. Where did you put it? Why, it's... Oh, where did I put it? He mused. Ah, oh, 
I recall that the chamber is on the bathroom sink. Ta-ta, Watson. Good luck. The chamber? I went pale. How clearly my mind's eye could picture it. Holmes, in a fine mood, humming one of his absurd little ditties, cheerily cleaning this pistol component and then the next, carelessly discarding one the instant he was ready for another. If someone had asked me that morning whether I might be able to ravage all our rooms in 11 minutes, I should have said no. I would have been right, too. In 13 minutes, I think I could have done it, but I ran out of time. I had the chamber, the carriage, the barrel, both halves of the handle, the revolving pin, the advance mechanism, the trigger, and four bullets when I was interrupted by a knock at the door promptly at eight. No hammer. I had no firing hammer. I let the pieces drop onto the dining room table and called, Yes? Dr. Watson, said Mrs. Hudson, poking her head in at the door. Lady here to see you, doctor. She swung the door wide. There, framed against my only reasonable route of escape, was a lady with a bulging purse and a copy of the Times. She was a strapping six-footer with well-muscled shoulders and a prominent Adam's apple. Obviously, she'd had some hurry getting here, for her face bore traces of the lather she had used when shaving off her full beard. The dress could not have been hers, for it was made for a person barely half her size. Oh, but the bonnet actually did suit. I'd say the disguise was insufficient to fool anybody, were it not for the fact that Mrs. Hudson had been taken in entirely. She fixed me with the first friendly smile I'd ever seen her perform, and chirped, well, I'll be off then. I hope you'll not be wanting anything, Dr. Watson. It's scrap metal night, and I'm just off to fire up the grinder. No, I won't hear you call, I don't think. Why, that old contraption would beat a brass band, wouldn't it? Anyway, sure it'll drown out any noise you two could make up here. Good night, all. For a second, I thought Mrs. Hudson was leaving us alone because she would be happy to see me murdered. But the sprightly glint in her eye gave me to realize she had other reasons. The idea that young, unmarried doctors might be willing to rendezvous with aged spinsters unchaperoned in their quarters at night was a source of great hope to her. Doubtless, she had several scandalous novels that began in exactly that manner. Her rusty old heart swelled with optimism. She tripped lightly down the stairs and was gone. The killer smiled and stepped through the doorway. Realizing my only hope lay in playing along, I croaked, Good evening, Miss... Sawyer, the killer said, affecting a pathetic impression of an elderly crone. I've come about the advertisement. Do you still got that wrapper? Uh, just there on the table here. Welcome to it, I said, nodding my head to where the bakery wrapper lay beside the ineffectual pile of pistol parts. Oh, God of mercy. Thank you. Good, sir. You're very welcome. Good day. It belongs to my daughter, you see, the murderer continued, visibly counting off his rehearsed speech on his fingers, point by point. She married that Tom Dennis, regular fellow he is, so long as he's not in his drink. <laughs> he's true enough at sea, but in port, well, the women and the liquor, they get the better of him. Oh, sure, my good daughter was for a savage beating had you not recovered her missing wrapper. How lucky that I did. Please take it to her. She lives at 3 Mayfield Place, Peckham, and I live at 13 Duncan Street, Houndstitch. She was on her way to a circus that night when she dropped the wrapper. Ha! Ah, 
I cried. Number three Lauriston Gardens does not lie between Mayfield Place and any circus that was open on the night of... Oh, wait, nope. I don't care. Please take it. Sally Sawyer, that was her name. Now Sally Dennis, since Tom Dennis wedded her. I have their marriage license here, if you'd like to see. No, not necessary. Please. Now have a look, sir, and you'll know I speak true. Please. I believe... Anything you say, no matter how preposterous, I pleaded. I, I have no intention of fact-checking any of this. Just take the wrapper and go. But he ignored me utterly and continued, It was a token of their love, you see. I gave a deep sigh and muttered, How odd, and yet perfectly credible. It's off the first donut whatever he bought her. I'm sure it was a very nice donut, I said, which turned out to be a terrible mistake. The killer's face went pale. A look of remorse and longing that would have drawn sympathy from the very stones crossed his face for a moment, but was chased away by a flood of vengeful hate that froze me where I stood. He howled with rage so intense that he managed to drown out Mrs. Hudson's scrap grinder for a moment. Then he turned away to punch the wall. His fist shattered laugh and plaster and sank in so deep I half fancied he'd broken through the opposite side as well. That it was, he told me, all pretense of the fictional Mrs. Sawyer gone from his voice, the best one ever. He closed his eyes, hung his head, withdrew his fist from the wall, and promptly plunged it through again, setting a second hole just six inches from the first. With trembling hands, I picked up the wrapper from the table Inch by inch, though terror gripped my heart, I approached him. A sudden inspiration took me. As stealthily as my unsteady fingers could manage, I tore a tiny corner from the wrapper and placed it in my pocket. I forced myself across the room to where he stood, with his fist in the wall and his petticoat all in disarray. I placed the wrapper in his free hand, closed his fingers over it, and squeaked, It's yours. In my heart, I prayed he had not seen me tear away the corner of his precious wrapper. His back was to me. How could he have noticed? I had to think what would have occurred if he had. Thank you, he said. Strange how heartfelt his gratitude seemed. He sounded as if I had just saved him from the gallows. And I had an instant of guilt when I realized I intended to do just the opposite. Without another word, he drew his fist from the wall and disappeared through the door. The moment he was gone, my knees gave out, and I would have plunged to the floor, except I knew I must observe all I could about the man in the hope of catching him later. I staggered to the window and sagged into the very armchair I had bought to deposit Warlock in just that morning. The killer walked into the street, approached a waiting cab, and called out loudly so that all the street might hear, Number three, Mayfield's place, peck him, driver! This in spite of the fact that there was no driver. After shooting a fleeting glance up and down the street, the old crone bounded up into the driver's seat herself and whipped the horse into a gallop. At least we had it right that the killer was a cab driver. The urge to collapse overcame me. I staggered across the room to the brandy decanter, then back to the chair before the fire. Here at last, I allowed my legs to buckle and I fell in a heap, interrupting my tremors from time to time to pour a healthy draught of brandy down my throat. It was nearly an hour and a half before Warlock returned. By that time, I had already turned away two other callers. Uh, one was some sort of insane baked goods collector. The other had just come from my bank and claimed to be a Nigerian prince, in spite of the fact that he was clearly of Chinese descent. His family fortune had been seized, he said, and if only I would deposit a thousand pounds in my own bank account, 
the number of which was written on a crumpled piece of paper clutched in his right hand. This would somehow allow him access to his own monies, 10,000 pounds of which he would immediately pay to me. Exhausted and by no account sober, I told him I would. The instant he left, I made a note to open a new bank account at my earliest convenience. At last, Warlock burst through the door in high spirit. He clucked, Hi-ho, Watson, I've just had a merry chase. I quite forgot. Grogson was headed out to the theater this evening. I checked a few, but I never found him. Any luck here? I nodded. Did you encounter the killer? Again, I nodded. Tell me all, Watson. Tell me all. I shook my head. Perhaps tomorrow, then. You look quite undone, I must say. He leapt into the other armchair and poured himself a snifter of brandy. He had no intention of drinking it, I knew, but would often pour himself one whenever anybody else had a glass so he could pretend to be joining in. He settled back, smiling, but then jerked forward, his reverie interrupted by a sudden remembrance. After rummaging through his coat for a few seconds, he withdrew a small metal curio and said, By the by, Watson, I found this queer little device in my pocket. Have you any idea what it might be? I can hardly describe the wave of fury that washed over me. If I had not been in an alcoholic stupor, I think I would have leapt from my seat and throttled him. Yet, in my current state, there was nothing I could do but say, That, Holmes, is the firing hammer of a Wesley Price 455 revolver. His face contorted into a mixture of amusement and wonder. Is it? I am fairly certain. That was G.S. Denning reading from his Warlock Holmes series, Book One, A Study in Brimstone. Like I said, it was a fantastic episode. I had a lot of fun talking with him. Hey, make sure you share this episode with all your Sherlock friends out there. You know, get them to check this out because it's such an enjoyable read. Make sure to follow the links in the show notes so you can follow Mr. Denning and Warlock Holmes both. Follow our friends over at the Pop Goes the Culture Network. And don't forget to subscribe because as a subscriber, each week you get to have a new author a new book and a new sample chapter. Thanks for coming back, everybody. We'll see you next week.